Thank you, Jessica. Appreciate that offering music. Well, good morning. Um, next week, we will have a baptism. Ashley Hill, our newest little new believer, as far as we know. And so all those that play a part in preparing for bapti- um, baptism and appreciate if you guys would take note of that. Behind the scenes, folks. <clears throat> and um, we did have a, as Rick said, work celebration. Uh, celebration party Saturday at the pavilion. It looks a little different out there now. It's real cleaned up and we appreciate Jeff and Cookie lending us. They let us borrow their um, work crew for a few hours and boy did it pay off because I'm pretty sure they cut at least an hour. I'm thinking about an hour and a half off of our regular Saturday morning workout there. They, they invaded the place like little worker ants and raked those leaves and cleaned things and it was uh, Quite a blessing. We thank also the New Covenant Fellowship folks and families that came out to make that happen. Appreciate you taking good care of the property. And Rick, thanks for heading that up. Appreciate that. Well, we're going to be looking at a very familiar passage this morning about salt and light. Everybody has heard, if you are a believer, about salt and light in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13. Through 16, Jesus is preaching this sermon on the mount because he is literally on a mount, a mountain there. People have gathered around him. He takes this opportunity to teach them about kingdom principles. As we know in Matthew, Jesus is the king and he is establishing his kingdom. And what he has done in the first 12 verses is set forth for his disciples what we might consider The norms of kingdom living. And I know that we looked at being poor in spirit and just mourning over our sin and being merciful and hungering and thirsting for righteousness. We look at those things as uh, very, very hard and difficult to do. And Jesus basically says this is normal kingdom living. This is what we are um, producing In ourselves through the Holy Spirit as we conform to his character. And one of the last things that so so he says this is the kingdom living. And now basically salt and light has the idea of the kingdom witness. And one of the last beatitudes or no, the last beatitude that we looked at was blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. And so We left with this idea of Jesus basically saying, when you become my disciple and follow me, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to suffer for it. There's enemies out there that aren't going to appreciate it all. And so he continues his sermon with the words, you know, therefore, let me teach you how to hide your Christian faith. So that people don't notice it and you can escape to the best of your ability, the suffering that could await you otherwise. Is that what Jesus says as he continues preaching the sermon? Not at all. As a matter of fact, now the emphasis is on not hiding this transformational work, but making it very noticeable, in fact, 
so that it brings glory to our heavenly Father. The three points are in the bulletin. Let's read our text in Matthew 5. Beginning in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. My first point is actually part of a book title written by Becky Pippert. Out of the salt shaker is my point, and she adds, and into the world. And it's really a book about lifestyle evangelism. It's a book that takes scripture and reminds us that Living for Christ and being a witness, being salt and light, is something we do really 24-7. Because as we yield our entire life to Christ and we're thinking about God and all we do and, and all we say, that is a means to be a kingdom witness. So it's something that happens every waking hour. And her idea is that he shakes us into the world kind of like a giant salt shaker, sprinkling us all over the, gro- the globe as salt and light. And the Beatitudes teach us that the Christian life is not something that you turn on and off. Though we might be tempted to turn it on and off, like if we're in certain places, we might be tempted to not talk about our faith or if we're around certain people, we might be tempted to turn our Christian faith off, so to speak, or tone it down. Or if it was a dimmer switch to dim it out so it doesn't stand out. But the Christian faith is something that actually should stand out because as the Beatitudes teach us, it's it takes over our whole lives. It's to permeate our thinking process to the point that everything that comes out of us is is designed to glorify God, which is our chief end as humanity. The very first words, I think, in this passage are quite striking because Jesus is turning to people and he is really uttering quite a task, if you think about it. And when he turns to people and and says, you are the salt, you are the light of the world. He's not talking to great dignitaries. He's not talking to people that are worldwide travelers, celebrities or kings or princes or political leaders. He's talking to run-of-the-mill blue-collar Galileans. And I'm sure there's eye contact here when he says you. Can you imagine sitting in that crowd? And you're hearing from this great man, the Messiah, that you think or hope he is. And he says, guys, you are the salt. You are the light. And it is you that will will have a global effect as you live for Christ. Your life will, will literally impact and should impact 
the world. Now, I don't know the last time you looked, but this world's a big place. It's a big planet. There are a lot of people in this world. Now, some people say there's too much, too many people in this world and we need to get rid of some of them. The last I read, um, the genius physicist Stephen Hawking, maybe you read it, he's saying we need to get out of here. We're going to destroy it the way it is. We need to find other planets to live on. We're overpopulated is one of the things and then global warming and so forth. There's a lot of this is a big place. And Jesus is saying to this gathering of disciples that you are to light it up, light the world up, bring out, bring it out, bring the goodness out of it. It's the plan of God's disciples to make disciples so that basically it's an invasion of the world that's been turned upside down to turn it right side up. What a profound thing to say. And it's not a lot of times we hear these overwhelming what seem like overwhelming tasks and we look at them. We read them in Scripture and we say can't be done. It's a suggestion at best. And, it, and this is the king telling his people how it really is. He's saying, you are the light. You, you are it. You are the salt. That's the way it is in the kingdom. That's how I have decreed it. Now, invade it. Go global and light it up. And he says this with confidence, not so much in our, in our own heart's Within their own limitations, he says this with great confidence that you will light the world up because he's the king and he is over the entire universe and he knows what can take place. And he knows the power that he can have in us as we surrender our lives to him and walk in obedience to him and light the world up. You are. And by the way, the world of this generation that he's speaking to the apostles and disciples, they did light the world up. They spread the gospel. They spread the kingdom witness. We're just trying to keep it going and perpetuate it until the king returns. So this is kingdom witness. Perhaps, you know, some people and I know some people that look at the Christian faith as a very private, personal thing. It's my relationship with God. It's it's all vertical. And they view it as maybe arrogant and obnoxious for me to make my faith known, for me to talk about God to everybody and be all verbal about it is just it's, it's obnoxious. And so it really should just be something that, well, to put it in the words of Jesus, that I hide under a bushel. And that's not the teaching of Scripture. Faith is personal and it's relational. It's a very personal relationship with God. But it's that way so that it can also be witnessed by others. Uh, it's, it's the blessing, as Jeff reminded us this morning in Sunday school. God blesses us just so we can accumulate as many blessings as possible and carry them around and not share them with anybody. No, he blesses us so that we will be a blessing to others. Jeff didn't say that. Um, and, and obviously you knew that was the wrong thing just from your acquaintance with 
Scripture. So these good works that Christ produces in us, this transforming work, is a supernatural work. You realize that when Christ comes into your life, it's the supernatural invading the natural. And when that kind of supernatural work happens, radical things happen in our lives. And people should see them. And people are intended to see the work of God so that it brings glory to our heavenly father. So this Christian life and these beatitudes, this this mercy, this poor spirit, this peacemaking attitude just oozes out of us onto others. We don't bring people to Christ at knife point, although some faiths and maybe some in the Christian faith have been infamously known to try to do this, threaten people into the kingdom. People come into the kingdom by God's glory oozing out of us and, and spilling onto them. By God's tremendous blessing in our lives oozing out of us and splashing onto them and making it enticing. So consider yourselves shaken out of the salt shaker. Let's look at the kingdom properties of salt. What is Jesus talking about in verse 13 when he says, you are the salt of the earth? Well, as it is today, really, the primary use or it's still a use today in more primitive societies, but we still use it like this country ham. The main use for salt in that day was as a preservative. Things needed to be. Preserve. So let's just say um, you and your buddy decide you're going on a little hunting trip and you go out and your target is wild goat. You want some wild game. And so you shoot it and you bring it back. You're in Palestine around the time of Jesus. You bring it back and your family's all proud of you because now they have meat to eat. And then you neatly cut it up and package it and you put it in your double wide Frigidaire to keep it cold, right? No, or your chest freezer in the basement. You don't do that because they didn't have that in that day. So what do you do to keep the meat from going from rotting? You know, like like roadkill. Well, you have two options, really. You have a short window of opportunity to prepare it, cook it and eat it before it goes bad. Or if you want to save it for later, you pack it in salt. You rub salt in it, you massage it in the meat, you just absolutely cover it with salt. That keeps all the nasty bugs and insects off of it. And it preserves it literally from decaying. Because as soon as something dies, the the decaying process begins. So it stops that process. And there are some climates where it's so hot that... You really don't have, you might have to the end of the day to do something with that meat at best before it begins to rot. So the salt preserves it. Well, why would we need to be salt or why would this world need salt? And it's because the world left to itself, the world without you, festers and decays, it putrefies. And it morally rots without the presence and the light of Christ, without the truth and reality in it. It's as you know from Scripture, the world is on a course of terrible moral decay. 
so bad that we read in the days of Noah. I mean, how bad could it get? How, how much could it decay morally? It was so bad in the days of Noah, Scripture says, that every person only had evil thoughts. Like everything they did, there was an evil motive behind it. So everybody on this globe at that time only looked at each other as how can I use you to exalt myself? That's how bad it was. And God judged the world. And of course it got better because it was just knowing his family and there weren't as many sinners in it. But then, of course, in different pockets of the world, sin escalated. And then you have the Sodom and Gomorrahs and so forth where you just have very depraved societies that are godless and that is the natural bent of this world and to stop it from getting as bad as it possibly could be enters new covenant fellowship disciples enters people who have given their lives to christ people who have been impacted by the grace of god so to keep the world from getting as bad as it could To keep our families, to keep our societies, to keep our communities from getting as evil as they could be. Are these planted people, disciples. You know, the second law of thermodynamics is that things go from a state of order to disorder, from from order to chaos. And that's the world that we live in. And it is literally falling apart. And I know sometimes I have thought to myself and others have said, I just feel like I'm falling apart. I talked to one of my neighbors recently um, that, that was saying something to that effect. You know, I, I just was feeling achy and sore all the time. And I went to the doctor and I was just sure I had caught some kind of disease or something like that. And the doctor just checked me out and said, oh, no, you're perfectly healthy and fine. Well, then what's wrong with me? Why am I so sore all the time? Well, you're getting old. That's just old age. So you just like. When you're young, you you do a hard workout, you get sore, and then you feel even better. It's all gone. It works it out. When you get older, you do a hard work, and you get sore, and you never get out of it. You just stay there. So, yeah, the world is kind of, it's decaying, and we're a part of it. You stop working on things, and what naturally happens? It's the law. If you build something new, and you paint it, stain it, whatever, and you put it outside, it looks so good. It just naturally gets better and shines even brighter, right? When it's exposed to the elements, no. It begins to, to decay, wear out, lose its shine and so forth. And that's how we are spiritually and morally. Save the light of Christ. So we don't want to stop working on things, though. It is hard work to maintain things. It's hard work to live for the Lord. And just think about your marriage. If you just let your marriage go and you don't purpose to do what you know is right and healthy for it, the natural course that it's on is you're going to find tension in it. Same thing with family relationships and all of relationships. We there are parts of it that do come natural and that are easier. But if we don't work on things, if we don't maintain them, they're just going to fall apart. The pavilion was a mess yesterday. It was a mess. I don't know that I've ever seen it that bad. And maybe it was because the workday came later in the year. There's hardly any grass left over there. And that's what a lack of maintenance does. It just, think, 
It, did, it wasn't shinier this year than it was last year. It needed a lot of work. You just can't let things go. And to keep from letting things go, enter into the, work, the, the world are kingdom people. The problems that we see in a world, the evil that we see in a world today that you read in the news or see on the news, it's the same sins that we've always struggled with. These aren't new sins. This great. No, no, no. Sometimes they're, they're better and worse on the scale. The whole thing about racism, it's always been with us. It's a big it's because it's a big problem. It's a real problem in our hearts. The thing about financial equality and recessions and and having poor and, and wealthy and how people use their money. This has always been with us. These aren't new issues. Even the thing about immigration and welcoming strangers. These aren't new issues. These are things that have always been with us because of the condition of our hearts. We are a wicked, evil people when left to ourselves. And we get even worse without the light of Christ. There's lots of things out there. And so, as being subject to decay, the Lord is reminding us of these things. So what's the function of the saints? What's the function of the church? Kent Hughes says the church, as salt, functions as a retardant to decay and a preservative in a disintegrating world. And Jesus was saying, in effect, humanity without me is a dead body that is rotting and falling apart. Isn't that the dead man walking of Ephesians that Paul talks about? He says, and you, my followers, are the salt that must be rubbed into the flesh to halt the decomposition. The church must be rubbed into the world, into its rotting flesh and wounds so that it might be preserved. What a tremendous opportunity. What a high calling to live for Christ. It helps throttle the behavior around us. So think, as we think about our lives and apply that to us, what effect does my life have on those around me? Does it elicit goodness and righteousness or does it find camaraderie, ship and evil? What kind of presence do we have? I would venture to say that if you are a, a strong Christian, that you have allowed or welcomed God to transform your attitude in your life, that you have a certain presence around people that is very noticeable. You may not always notice what you're doing. You might not notice that you are a preservative, but you are a preservative because they know how you speak. They know how you decide things. They know how you treat other people. And it shines a a light of awareness on the way they think and the way they treat other people. I've said it before, but as a pastor, um, as soon as somebody finds out I'm a pastor, all of a sudden they're on their best behavior. The, the, you know, the, the F word disappears out of the vocabulary. And it's just a, it's just an amazing transformation before my very eyes. There's something about this idea of righteousness that threatens darkness, that threatens evil. And you are that threat as well. Kent Hughes continues to say the fact is that Christians exert an incalculable influence on society. 
Their mere presence reduces crime, restrains ethical corruption, promotes honesty, quickens the conscience, elevates the general moral atmosphere. The presence of such people in the military, business, education, and a fraternity or sorority will amazingly elevate the level of living. And their absence will allow unbelievable depths of depravity. I've seen it happen in some of you guys that own your own business or... or um, are in charge of certain areas in your workplace because you live for Christ. You incorporate the the principles of God into your business and all your employees aren't Christians, but they get the blessing of a Christian living because the way you treat them and and honor them. And a lot of times they take it home because they like it. They don't always come to Christ, but you, you are elevating the goodness of their lives. You are a blessing to them. And what kind of difference can just one person make? Well, there's a guy by the name, I'm sure you've heard of him, William Wilberforce in the late 1800s. And he nearly single-handedly emancipated slavery in Britain in that day. And this is just a little, who, little guy who actually became a little sickly guy. And here's how one person described him. I saw a shrimp mount the table, but as I listened, he grew and grew and grew until the shrimp became a whale. That's the impact he had as he fought against the evil of his day and enticed people to the righteousness of Christ to make decisions on how we're going to, what kind of society we're going to be. This one man changed the way society looked at a race of people and the way they lived. He was a light for the glory of God. And as disciples, God wants to massage us in, rub us in, not to become a part of the world, but to preserve it, to rub it deep into the pockets and the recesses of the world to preserve it. And you'll notice that Jesus doesn't say to his disciples, this world is perverse and evil and you're going to be persecuted. Therefore, as my disciples, what I want you to do is just sit there and whine and complain about all the evil that's going on in the world because there's so much of it. And that's the true mark of one of my disciples. Or just just stand against it. That's not the message of the Bible. It's no. You're the answer. You're the remedy. Christ in you is the remedy to the evil. That we don't like. That we don't want. Complaining about it. And just noticing it. Noticing it is a start. But Christ in you has the power to do something about it. To, to come into contact with it. And bring the, the law and the truth and the righteousness of Christ to apply to it. And the saltier, the saltier we are, the better off society is. The saltier you are, the better off your marriage is, your parenting is, your friendships are, your soccer team is. Old salty. But it's not just about the, the preservative powers. There's another Inherent power to the property of salt. 
And that is it's a spice. And that's how we use it probably more today than anything else in our society. It's a spice. And you see people grab the salt shaker all the time, put it on their food. Sometimes people love it so much they put it on their food before they even taste it. Which in some um, cultures, I understand, is quite an insult. Who said yeah? Oh, it's quite an insult for you to put salt on the food I cooked you and you haven't even tasted how good it is yet. But anyway, so it's a spice. What does it do? It brings out the goodness. It brings out the flavor. It enhances what's already there. And so this aspect of being salty is also that the disciples bring out the zest of life. The, the spice of life. This is life how it ought to be. This is life how it ought to taste. Taste and see that the Lord is good in all aspects and areas of life. And so the Christian disciple shows people how to delight in life, how to love life, how to make it savory. Everything that we experience today, all the relationships, it's up to the disciples to show the, the fallen humanity how to value and treasure their relationships with each other and their marriages and their work and their paychecks. All of these things are blessings from God. And so Christian living draws that out and makes it more evident so that people can see it and appreciate it. And so there's a challenge in here to go out and do hard things for God, to go out and work hard and bring order and light and savory goodness out of your workplace, out of your school, out of your home school, out of the softball. Whatever it is that we're engaged in, go and live it and live it hard and enjoy it. Show people what a joy it is to live for God. Whether you hit a home run or strike out, there's something in there from God for you as a believer. So enjoy what God has given to you in this earth and bless the world with it. Take your gifts and talents, the things that God has invested in you uniquely and specifically and bless the world with it. We, we were just blessed in our offering music that, that Jessica played for us. She used that which God has planted in her and blessed us with it. And that's what God wants us to do with whatever it is that he's planted in us. So society can see it. If you're a, if you're a good speaker, speak in such a way that people value words. If you're a good writer, write for all your worth's heart. Your heart's worth. If you're a good painter, just paint and draw whatever it is that God has placed you. Use it to bring out the blessings that he has for us in this world. That's the reason that we have it. Timothy Keller says you are the stability in your neighborhood. You're the glue in your office because a Christian doesn't look at a situation and say, what can I get out of it? But the Christian acts like salt and gets in there and says, how can I bring the best out of this organization? How can I bring the, the best out of this group, out of these people? Whereas we were reminded in the days of Noah, everybody just automatically thought, how can I use you for my means to exalt myself? That's just evil thinking. And that's not the way the Christian thinks. He goes on to say sometimes the things uh, that, that you're involved in, they might be mighty, big and corrupt. And that you realize 
you can only season just a little bit of it around you. Might maybe just one cubicle or two or three that are around you. But a Christian brings joy. A Christian brings joy to the people around him and her. And it's because we can see what they can't. And it reminds me of the scene in, with Elijah in Kings when a city is besieged. They're surrounded by their enemy and they've been besieged. And some of them, they're thirsty, they're hungry, they're starving. And all they can see is despair and bliss. And Elijah says, if only you could see what God is doing above your heads. There are chariots of fire in the trees, in the skies. God has this. And the Christian exists to show the world that God exists and that there are more things than what you're seeing in your natural state of mind. And we bring those out through Christian living by being exciting about the things. I spoke to another neighbor of mine yesterday. That would be Paul Foote. And for the second time, he came and visited me while I was cutting grass and brought me another beer of Stewart's draft root beer and he does that every once in a while um and he is an excitable guy uh you can't always follow him so he, he's so excited about things and he just says I'm, I'm so excited and i'm not exaggerating when i do that that's how he really is so excited what, what, what are you so excited about? i'm so excited about next week what's next week VBS, Crew Baptist, VBS. I'm so excited about it. The kids are going to come. And they're going to learn about Jesus. And maybe some of, them, some of them have never heard about him before. And I just love being a part of that. I'm so excited I can't wait. Just oozing all out. The joy. You got you to gotta almost... He said, I, and he went on and on and on. He said, I know some people talk too much. But I just, you know... Yeah, I got grass to cut, but uh, that, that, that is that's salt just oozing out of him. The joy of the Lord and, and the way he is looking at life and opportunities that we have. And another thing that happens with salt is it preserves and it spices life up. But it, it also makes you thirsty, doesn't it? Now you know why if you went to a bar before you were a Christian, uh, they served free pretzels and peanuts on the, at, at the bar. Because you think, wow, this is great, a great deal. I'm, I'm eating all these pretzels and free peanuts. And you're getting what? Thirsty. And it's going to cost you about $5 a drink to quench that thirst. See, they're making money off of you. But um, thirst, salt makes us thirsty. Do we live in such a way that those... When, when people see how we handle life, even the hardships of life, that it makes them thirst for God, makes them thirst for Christ. Because they can't ride the waves like that. They can't face hardship. They can't find themselves to set their own hearts free from bitterness of unforgiveness. But you can lift them up and encourage them and speaking words of life. It makes them thirsty for it. There's a warning here that goes along with that. Jesus says, if salt has lost its taste, how can it be restored? It's really not good for anything anymore. Technically speaking, loss doesn't 
us. Salt doesn't lose its taste. So what's Jesus referring to? Most scholars think it's not he's saying that lost its taste, but what salt can do is become so diluted or so polluted that you really don't taste it in there anymore. And it's a, it's a reminder about our lives to not become too worldly, watered down, diluted, so that our witness is barely even noticeable. You know, if, if we blend in so well that we're not noticeable, then the witness isn't there. The salt's not there. People won't be thirsty for that. They can get that anywhere. So salt the world. Kent Hughes says we need to ask ourselves, is there any difference between our approach to life, like how we spend our money, how we relate to people, how we work? Is there any difference between us and the way that people do it out in the world? Is there, is there a difference in our joy and our happiness and over the things that we get happy about? The answers to these questions reveal whether or not salt is penetrating us or the world is penetrating us. Or I'm sorry, if our salt is penetrating the world or the world is penetrating us. So we want to be salty. And then lastly, the kingdom properties of light. And I know that these two are kind of uh, like sisters here. It's hard not to want to speak about one without the other. But he says that you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. They put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Why did the world need salt? Because on its natural course, it just decays. Why does the world need light? Because it lives in darkness. It likes to live in darkness. John 3:19 This is the verdict light has come into the world but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Now when we're talking about darkness here we live in a very illuminated uh, culture place whatever land I mean there's there's light everywhere you have even out here in the country there's there's lights that come on at night in the parking lot. We have street lights. We have spotlights. We have car lights. We have flashlights on our phones. And if, the, if they don't work in your house, you've got some kind of little glow from the microwave or the little on button from your computer. Like very seldom is it actually really dark in our world. But in that world, of course, they didn't have those things. They had oil lamps and candles. And when the sun went down, if there was no moon, I mean, it was dark. How dark? The kind of dark where you can't see your hand in front of your face dark. That's, that's what we're talking about, the darkness that the world lives in. The city on the hill, well, even here, when there is a lot of light concentrated in one place, it reflects off the sky and you can see the light in the sky. I see it even in the little town of Crewe at night. You see the light and it, and it has this reflective illuminating property to it. And so in the cities, you could not help but to see them because in this dark world, here's this illumination of light. It served as a way for you to get your bearings, as a way for you to see what you're doing. Because when, in your, when you're in the dark, if you turn it all off and you can't even see your hand in front of your place, face, how are you going to even know where you are or what direction you're going in? And that's a description of the world. 
Where am I? Where am I going? All I'm doing is bumping into things in this meaningless, purposeless world. And we are sent in it to be light. And what does light do? You turn it on and all of a sudden you see the vibrancies. You see there's more colors than you ever imagined. There are more textures than you ever imagined. And that's what light does in the darkness. And so when you put light up against the darkness, there's, there's a big difference. And there, when you go out into the world and the workforce and your light gets up against that darkness, it's going gonna, it's gonna to reveal things about people. So when you get with that group, uh, the community swimming pool that loves to gossip and you don't, but you speak purely and honestly, you're shedding light on the way they're living their lives. You can't help but to do that. Or we expose, when you live in, in this age of promiscuity and free sex, you live this really chaste, pure, loving, devoted, covenant, commitment kind of marriage. You have that kind of shows the rest of the world where they've gotten off. It, it brings things to light by living for truth. I like the um, most of it. There's a, I haven't seen it for a while, but anyway, a Jeep Compass, I believe it is, the Jeep Compass commercial. And it's a really neat commercial because in it, it, it recognizes that our culture really tries to squeeze you and conform you to itself. And there are people in this advertisement that are kind of going against this conformity of American culture. And so it, it shows a vegan deciding to sit down and eat a juicy steak. It, it shows a, a woman, rather than enjoying her singleness, uh, getting a wedding ring and treasuring this idea of, yes, being tied down to one thing. You know, it just goes against all these norms of freedoms and so forth. And then it shows this woman reading her pregnancy test stick. And it's got, it's positive. And this, and so, um, Trying to remember what the uh, what the main uh, oh it's a uh, recalculating that's what it was all these things are recalculating your life these are big decisions and you're not letting yourself be so pressured that you just go with it and it shows this one guy he's in the city you know he's in a corporate in America and then he's out decides I'm going out in the country I'm living in the country I'm gonna visit the country or whatever. So recalculating, recalculating all these big, wonderful decisions. And it's a reminder um, for us that we're only a decision away from just getting stuck in some kind of conformity that we don't want to be. And sometimes we just got to say no to that and yes to this. And it says love, hope, happiness, whatever your destination, there's a million beautiful, ever changing ways to get us there. And they use that catchy thing, recalculating. We might need to be recalculated. Now, what I don't like about it um, is on the screen it says, find your true north. And that's where it, it bugged me. It ruined it. Because find your true north? You mean we can all have our own true north? And it still be true? And yours is over there and mine is over Come on, guys. Do better than that. The whole reason that we can use a compass 
And no matter where you are in the world, we can all show up at the exact same coordinates is because there is such a thing as a true north. So they ruin the beauty of it in their because of the darkness of those marketers. There's one true north, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the light. He's the standard. You know, our lives should be around others. This message recalculating. I'm recalculating my life to get closer and closer to the coordinates of Christ. And I'd just like to invite you to do the same. It illuminates and guides. Maybe we're not as bright as Moses, who stayed 40 days and nights in the presence of God and came down so illuminated that he had to wear a veil, lest he blind people. Maybe we're not quite like that. But we do want to illuminate those around us. And by the way, that's not going to happen with a couple seconds in God's word a day. Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights and it showed. And the more time we stay in God's word and avail ourselves to the disciplines of grace, the more light we will shine in this world. So Jesus didn't come into the world to make it darker. He came into the world to show how dark it already was and to shine his lights. And that's what God calls us to do. As we think about this, we sang this song and it just really gripped me. He has washed us. Does it say he has or you? He has washed us in his blood. He has washed us in his blood. He has washed us in his blood to bring you home to God. Is that right? To bring you home to God. Put you on the spot and you can't remember it, can you? That's what happened to me. That's why I'm asking you. To bring you home to God. Let us, when you have been washed in the blood of Christ, it will change you. Because you are forgiven. You don't have this cloud of doom and condemnation, condemnation over you. You live free in Christ to worship God. And it, being washed, we don't want to live like we've been baptized in lemon juice. We want to live like we've been washed in the blood and it changes the way we do and look at everything. And the whole purpose is what? Soli Deo Gloria. Verse 16. Let it show. Let it show. Why? For your own arrogance and pride? No, for the glory of God. Soli Deo Gloria. Psalm 115, verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. May God bless the preaching of his word.